The world as we know it continues to evolve and change into something that we can only hope to understand. This is why the registry continues to provide industry insights through personal interviews with the leaders who are shaping real estate on a daily basis. By subscribing to our podcast, you are helping us in our work, and we will continue to deliver programming such as the one you're about to hear. Please click the subscribe button and let your friends and colleagues know about us. It will help you and the industry stay ahead of the game. David Gull is the founder and chief executive officer at Outer Realm, a virtual reality startup whose mission is to help real estate companies fully sell and lease their projects before they are built. David is an industry veteran who started in the business as an architect and worked with one of the world's most renowned architecture firms, Skidmore, Owings & Merrill. Following his love for innovation, he left SOM to join Floored, which was subsequently acquired by CBRE. But the corporate life had a limited shelf life for David, who then struck out on his own to launch Outer Realm and transform the vision of so many developers through a virtual world. Welcome, David. Uh, David, good afternoon. How are you? I'm great. Good to be here. Excellent. Where do we find you today? Where Where are you today? I'm in Venice, California, just a few blocks from the beach. Um, got a fairly clear day with just dwindling amounts of smoke from the fires. Okay. Okay. That's good. Yeah. I'm in the Pacific Northwest and it's still lingering around here. So, but um, but I'm hoping we have some rain coming. So I'm hoping that'll uh, that'll take it away pretty pretty quickly. So, um, well, thanks for taking the time to chat with us. Um, would uh, you know? I'm very excited to learn more about your company. Tell us a little bit about you know your your firm and your background, sort of by by way of introduction. For sure. Um, so the company is Outer Realm, and we help real estate developers and brokers um, showcase their properties in a more effective way. Um, and we're specifically focused on new development properties or properties that are undergoing some kind of transformation, um, whether it's a tenant space that has to be refit out or um, a, an asset that's undergoing some kind of capital improvement or renovation. Um, but that is what we do day to day. Great. And how did you come about to start this company? Give us kind of an overview of, you know, where you started in the industry and kind of how you ended where you are today. Yeah, so it's a little bit of a, an, an arcing story. It starts um, with an architecture degree at Cornell University. So I studied there um, in the architecture department, but I also had the opportunity to uh, mentor, get some mentorship from one of the founding fathers of computer graphics, a gentleman named Professor Don Greenberg, um, who helped early days kind of explore how computers could simulate the way that light bounces um, through computer-generated images and that sort of thing. So I had this really great mix of um, architecture studies and then also computer graphics and visualization. So I had a, a minor in that. Um, and when I graduated, I joined one of the largest architecture firms out of New York City, Skidmore, Owens & Merrill. Yeah. And I practiced there for six years. And what I saw along the way was uh, a couple of things. One, our clients were clearly um, struggling with reading floor plans and uh, understanding projects based on just 2D imagery and, and those plans and sections. Um, and the other was just that even our uh, own teams were super reliant on 
the 3D models that were just um, starting to get better and better. So building information models and that sort of thing. Um, so I was super excited about where this would go in the industry. And then a friend from Cornell invited me uh, to breakfast and said that his brother was working at a real estate tech startup and that they were looking with some for someone with an architecture background, uh, but an interest in technology. And so I ended up interviewing the next day okay. and um, learned, uh, learned about what they were up to, had a chance to try an Oculus DK1 headset, which was the developer kit for one of the earliest virtual reality headsets. And you know, I put it on and was instantly transported to the top floor of a building that was slated to be constructed near Bryant Park. Um, I was able to walk to the edge of the digital floor plate yeah. and look out over Bryant Park and, you know, just was totally blown away. I saw um, in that moment, I saw, you know, the future of yeah. how we would represent space in real estate. Yeah. So I bet for an architect, this was like, you know, a new realm had opened essentially, right, in terms of the possibilities. So so then what? Tell us kind of how how you parlayed that into into the next step. Yeah, so that was kind of the the aha moment. You know, there are going to be better tools for this in the future. Um, and so I actually quit my job the next day and uh, joined that startup Floored. Um, it turns out that the VR headsets themselves were not really ready for prime time yet. They were still early days. Um, and so we focused on web-based uh, virtual tours and ultimately were acquired by CBRE, the largest brokerage firm in the world, um, which I think was great validation of the value that we were adding to the industry. And uh, the timing of that just coincided with two things. One was personal, which was a move to uh, California from New York City. And the second was the release of those the commercial versions of those VR headsets that I had tried a couple of years before. Um, And so, you know, timing was great for me. Uh, I left um, rather than joining CBRE and founded Outer Realm. Yeah. And and I'll, you know, go into the discussion of what Outer Realm does and, and all of that. But just just really quickly, if we can take a really quick step back, where has that technology uh, from a hardware point of view, where is it now? Like how far has it advanced over the last, I don't know, five years or so? Um, I remember people, you know, putting their, you know, iPhones into like these, you know, plastic or, you know, cardboard kind of goggly things, right? Um, that that was one way to showcase some of this technology. But 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 where where is it? Kind of give us give us a sense because I I don't think a lot of people know, you know, what to what to expect. Yeah, for sure. So I think it's you know certainly since that first uh, Oculus DK one in 2012 uh, to where we are today, eight years later. Um, I mean, it's it's undergone a massive transformation in terms of. Uh, a combination of the visual quality, um, the comfort, the uh, ability to run larger and larger scenes, uh, the cost, um, and the simplicity of use, not requiring a bunch of external trackers or any any real complexity to it, just a single cord or um, being untethered. And what you've described there with, with the iPhone, you know, that's a a really interesting step in the evolution of virtual yeah. <laughs> reality because you know it was it essentially made it available to everyone google cardboard um the idea that any anyone with a smartphone could have a virtual reality experience 
uh, the downside of that was that it kind of cheapened the experience for a lot of people. Right. And so, um, you know, they might have a perception of what VR is or what it means. Um, and now today, you know, for um, $300, you can get a very high quality uh, standalone, um, completely, completely untethered from a computer headset uh, that runs amazing visuals. Um, and so it's, it's just come such a long way from what you could get with Google Cardboard. Um, one of the things that we uh, work with on our customers is just a little bit of a re-education. If they had tried VR before um, and dismissed it based on some of those earlier prototypes. Yeah, and then also I think you've mentioned the word untethered a couple of times, which I think is a very important aspect of it because my understanding is one of those first Oculus devices had to have like this really powerful machine attached to it, right, to render render the scenery, right? And I think that was part of the challenge, right, is you had to carry this kind of, um, you know, hardware essentially around with it. But that that has evolved. Is that is that correct? That's right. So now you have two options. You have um, you do still have a tethered option uh, that can that can be paired now with a, a laptop. So it's yep. much more portable, much easier to use. Uh, the benefit of that is still that there is essentially uh, very few, very very little limitation on what you can achieve with that. So you know, in those situations, we've been able to showcase, um, for example, one of the largest developments in Vancouver's history, which is larger than Hudson Yards, New York. Um, and that's running off of just a, a regular gaming laptop. Yeah. Um, so that's still tethered. But yeah, the untethered uh, is really using um, a high, high-powered mobile graphic processing unit. And it's entirely self-contained. And actually, it's a timely conversation because just this morning, um, Oculus announced the Quest 2, which is the second version of the Oculus Quest, okay. uh, a price reduction, uh, significant improvements in the resolution and the rate of rendering. So that's you know exciting. We've placed uh, an order immediately uh, to start <laughs> prototyping for okay. that. Um, and it's the kind of thing where you know those those type of improvements are all, in summary, kind of inching us closer and closer to what I would define as a potential iPhone moment in the virtual reality industry. Right. And I think we're, you know, I'm not sure exactly where we are on that pathway. I'm not sure if the Oculus Quest 2 will be the iPhone moment or if it will still require a few generations. But, you know, we're really looking for that that device that kind of changes the equation for consumers um, and makes this a, you know, a, a must-have or something where, you start to want it because all of your friends have it and they're sure. engaging in certain types of experiences or apps um, that you feel left out of. Yeah, yeah, sure. FOMO, it's a FOMO moment, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, great. So uh, so tell us about Outer Realm then. So you know, what, what differentiates you guys? You know, what, what does it offer that some of the other folks on the market don't? Yeah, for sure. And so we've talked already a lot about virtual reality. Um, just to take a step back, you know, I, I think of our VR experience as one of the features of our product, not our core product. Um, our core product really is giving uh, better marketing and showcasing tools to real estate folks so that it still includes um, the ability to produce all of the other types of content that you might need to engage a prospect during your process. Yeah. Um, and so what's really different about us is that we create one 
um, high quality virtual simulation of your project. And we do that uh, using gaming engine technology um, built on top of Unreal Engine. And the benefit of doing that is that there's no incremental cost, no incremental effort involved in producing any individual image or, or view within that. And so we've automated the process of publishing from that engine to um, a VR format that works super well for guiding people um, from outside the headset. So allowing um, an agent or a sales broker or a, a developer to carefully curate a tour of someone in the headset, but then also automating the output of a 360 web-based tour, a video fly-through, and 2D images. And the important part of that is really just, again, allowing real estate folks to meet their prospects where they are in the pipeline. So there's pretty good research that shows that having uh, video and interactive content on a listing can up to 4x the engagement on that listing yep. leading to more inquiries. Um, and so, you know, it doesn't have to be the VR uh, format that's helping. So if you can 4x the number of people that are reaching out about your, about your listing or your property, uh, just that transformation alone is huge for sure, sure. Uh, getting to the end of your pipeline. Sure. And I would argue one other very big use case for this would be even in front of that process, which is during the kind of you know, application and sort of planning department review process, right? Where you're actually showcasing something that looks real to, you know, city council members, right? Or people that, you know, need to sort of visualize it from from a kind of outer point of view and how it fits in with, uh, with, uh, with the rest of the neighborhood. I mean, as a former architect and now somebody, you know, on the forefront of technology kind of leading where, commercial real estate is is going to go to how how much of an adoption do you see of this technology across the industry so i think you know it's it's an interesting question because it is an industry that is sort of self-described as slow to adapt or adopt you know it could be yeah, either of those uh, words essentially synonymous in this case and so you know as uh, as an entrepreneur um always looking forward to grow more quickly you know the reality is folks uh need to be kind of pulled over the hurdle of understanding what a new technology is and what it can do for them. Um, and they have their status quo of what they've been doing. And there's a little bit of the attitude of, you know, what, what we have has been working. Why should we change? Right. Um, I think, you know, certainly, uh, and we can transition a little bit if you like into, you know, a conversation about virtual, virtual in general, which has certainly been, brought top of mind with coronavirus and more stay at home. Yeah. But, I, you know, I believe strongly that this will be a shift that's, um, you know, permanent where people are thinking, you know, things that I used to do that were in person, are they still necessary to do in person? Um, what can we do virtually uh, instead of in person? And so, you know, I think that we're really probably at the, the tip of the spear in terms of a transition to virtual in the real estate industry. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, that's actually a great segue because my next question was going to be kind of how have you guys managed through, you know, COVID and how is it, you know, changing what you're creating essentially and, and you know, what has been the response in the industry? So yeah, let's jump into that. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I think the reality of the first couple of months of COVID was just that um, no one was making 
new purchase decisions. <laughs> yes. um, and so, you know, that was a, that was a bumpy ride the first couple of months, um, you know, from conversations that were in process and all the way down to negotiating on contracts that were kind of just put on hold or, or canceled. But since then, as folks have sort of got their feet back under them um, and are ready to get back, back to at least what their new normal will look like, you know, we've seen a lot of interest from people who now realize that uh, a couple of things were headed into probably a two-year period of significant economic uncertainty, yeah. significant potential depression in particular in commercial real estate markets. And so they're, they're thinking, you know, what can we do to invest a little bit more now in uh, reducing vacancy, stabilizing our properties? And, you know, that investment will certainly be paid back uh, time and time again if we are able to fill this space now before we head into you know a, a greater period of uncertainty yeah and you know I've seen habits beginning to shift whether that's a permanent shift or not I think remains to be seen but you know w what has been your experience because uh, because you mentioned you know people being able to view space virtually right and sort of look at buildings and things like that you know away from the office effectively how how do you see that evolving and where you know where are people in their mindset with that yeah so i think we're you know one shift that we've made is we've um, focused equal effort on our online um, version of the tours as we had on the vr uh, version of the tours so just recognizing that the ability to, uh, you know, screen share or the ability to send a link um, or have someone hit your website and instantly access a tour is more important than ever right now. And we're really focusing on also supporting, you know, how do we help folks uh, integrate these tours quickly and easily as possible with tools that they're already using, like a LoopNet or a CoStar listing, for example, or, you know, a website that they may have just redone and didn't necessarily plan for virtual tours when they did that, but helping them understand that it's, it is uh, an easy process, easy development, web development fix to add something like this to that strategy. Yeah, 100%. So as an entrepreneur, David, you, you, know, you understand that times of disruptions is also a time to innovate, right? And kind of think of new ways that you know this product and what you do can be can be relevant how are you guys doing that how are you preparing for the next cycle the the major investment that we're making is um, into something that's called cloud streaming or cloud GPU um, and we're looking to we, we have we have a beta version of it where you're able to run um, essentially the highest quality virtual simulation on a cloud computer um, hosted by Amazon instead of on your local device. Yeah. And the benefit of this is kind of what we were talking about earlier with tethered versus untethered is that it will allow us to kind of blend the benefits of both. And so we should be able to have the highest visual quality, the, uh, no limitations on the scale or scope or size of a project uh, that can be run, but then deliver that to essentially any device on the planet as long as you have a good internet connection. So we'll be streaming that directly to a cell phone or a tablet or a laptop or a desktop. And uh, really all you need to access that is browser and an internet connection. Yeah. So that's, that's the world that we see, which is, you know, really a shift. And, and 5G is certainly going to contribute to that where, 
you know, right now, if you were on a, a 3G or a 4G connection, uh, trying to cloud stream, um, you might have an okay experience, but certainly the, the number of people that are going to have access to this at super high speeds um, is only going to increase from where we are today. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's evident. How are you guys finding yourself? Are you finding this time to be, you know, difficult to do that, or maybe you, you don't have to worry about it? Where 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 are you in that sort of part of the life cycle? Um, so we've been a bootstrapped company from the beginning. It's been about three and a half, uh, coming up on four years now, and you know, just just proud that. Um, We've been able to grow based on you know real revenues and real sales to customers that keep coming back for more. So, you know, I think that's that's been an interesting approach, not necessarily the easiest one yeah. <laughs> as compared to you know, well, it's it's hard to do it both ways. But going out and uh, you know raising a large round of venture capital is a mixed blessing. Yes, <laughs> and certainly right now, you know, it's it's uh, like I said, the the couple of months there were very slow, and so that was uh, a period where we kind of just cut back and made sure that we were super focused and, and conscious of where we were spending and how we were investing. Um, but coming out of that, you know, is really where we've started to pour resources back into this development that I've just talked about and really making sure that uh, despite the leaner times that we're investing in the product, investing in improving the experience um, and making sure that we're headed headed where the puck is going so to speak yeah um with the world rather than uh hoping to play catch up in a year or so yeah 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 no certainly certainly tell me are you also contemplating any any partnerships during during this time are there certain parts of the you know commercial real estate or the design community that would you know help you kind of carry you into the next phase of your development um yeah so there are there are definitely some considerations of that i think one of the lessons that I've learned as an entrepreneur is that um, you think and want to do everything yourself and then slowly realize that it's it's great to have help. Yeah. And so I have been thinking a lot about that. You know, I've uh, recently turned on a small invite only referral program for contacts that I have in the industry you know, to help help bring in um, new business, new introductions, and certainly have thought about, you know, what other companies are out there that are complementary um, and not competitive that we might be able to partner with as well. But we haven't solidified any of those yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. As you look at this sort of landscape of the you know companies that you're going after, and I'm assuming it's mainly landlords and sort of developers, right? That's that's kind of your your main audience. Are are you looking at you know creating some use cases for others that could maybe expand your um, your ability to you know penetrate the market? Yeah, so some other interesting verticals, certainly um, home building is one of them. And, you know, I think that's one of the uh, verticals right now that's actually seen a, a pretty good uptick in yep. activity as people in urban areas consider, um, you know, how, how important is it for me to be down the street from my favorite restaurant when I can't go to that favorite restaurant. And so people are seemingly looking to you know, either move to more suburban areas or uh, buy a larger house and, and really enjoy that, set up a home office and that sort of thing. And whether that's a reactionary trend or a longer term trend, you know, only time will tell. But yeah, so home building, right. <laughs> home builders and, and new home construction, um, you know, we have a number of existing customers that have done very well using our product to do that. One uh, that I just did an interview with recently who 
was able to fully sell out phase one of a lot development um, before they ever completed construction using wow. our product. And then, you know, the, you know, I always try and dig into, you know, what does that really mean for you? The, uh, one of the more important things outside the obvious of the cash flow of having those sales completed was that it actually allowed them to move into phase two of that development much earlier than yeah. planned. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, they, they've already sold the first home in that phase two development again before they even put the first shovel in the ground for that phase. Yeah. And maybe even benefit for some of the interest rates, you know, their, you know, construction lending, right? <laughs> that, that's certainly another aspect of it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, carrying costs, uh, financing, marketing, all, all of the all the costs that add up the longer that you're act actually have them spun up. Um, yep. So really re reducing that time from uh, when you start selling to, to when you've closed on the final piece is a huge ROI for them. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. So, this is a challenging time for for many, and there's a lot of you know stories about what is happening throughout the industry and how it's impacting you know people across across the board. As you look at the circumstance through which we're going now, what what do you think will be a positive thing that comes out of all of this? Uh, I I think certainly it's it's interesting. I before this we were a remote company already, um, and so in that aspect, it's been a fairly seamless transition for our team. But I do think it'll be beneficial for for workers, for the people that have now probably more flexibility going forward, even as people return to work to work from home or work from a, a different location and, you know, essentially telecommute instead of travel as much. So I think in if if people can find the right balance, you know, with working from home and not somehow allowing it to creep a little too much in yeah. their personal lives <laughs> that I think that will be actually a huge benefit. And that'll be a savings in terms of commute energy, time savings, loss to commuting, a space reduction requirement for companies and, and their overhead. So I think that actually has the potential to be a big win. And now, of course, um, you know, if you're in, in, if you're long commercial real estate and you're holding a lot of it right now, that can be just as scary of a thought, but you know we might also just see that people move slowly back to a, a lower density model in yeah. office, yeah. Um, and really the amount of square footage that you require per person um, as that goes up, that it really doesn't change the equation too much for the for the office owners. But I'm not sure. Yeah, that that remains to that that remains an uncertain for sure uh, how that utilization is going to happen, but. One thing that I know is products like yours certainly will help in that utilization and try to figure out how they can use that space in the future. So, David, thank you for your time. Uh, stay safe. Pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Enjoyed the conversation. 